So if I was like, Chris, my goal is to get to 2 million YouTube subscribers. How much content do you need to be producing to grow to that level and, and what's the time frame? So you want a, a YouTube strategy on how to grow to 2 million followers. In what amount of time do you want to achieve that? How much money do you want to spend? What are the resources that you have? What are the constraints that you have? And you're not just asking a hypothetical. You actually want to get 2 million subscribers, right? I do. So let's break it down. We're spending $13,000 a month to gain 15,000 subs a month. So we make AdSense revenue and we do 10K a month. Every year, we're gonna generate about $120,000 of really passive income. That means that you should spend at minimum 120K on the production of the videos. And you only wanna spend a fraction of what we spend. What it's telling me right now is, I'm sorry to say this, Vendy, you're not that serious about your YouTube strategy, but I'm here to help you. I do want to give you an action plan. Ending. So there are three things that you're going to need to invest time in, in order to build your YouTube following. Number one, price anchoring. Could you and Pat from the beginning, like what is price anchoring in the first place and how that can be a brilliant way to really get your potential clients comfortable with a range of prices you might be charging and how to get yourself even comfortable, like raising your own rates. Sure. You're actually talking about two different concepts, so let me break it down. Concept number one is called anchoring, and it's a form of cognitive bias that we all have, which is we tend to rely on the first piece of information that we get a little bit too much. We over-rely on that. So in a conversation with the prospect, there gets to a point in which you have to actually talk about budget. And this is the thing that creators find to be very difficult to talk about. So they say, well, what do you have for a budget? And then the client says, okay. Um, we have $2,000 and maybe in your mind, you're thinking I should ask for 10, but because they said $2,000, you're sitting there thinking, well, I can't now ask for 10. There's no way that's five times yeah. as much as what they have to spend. So you start to negotiate with yourself and you say, well, I can ask for four, maybe five. And you do that. And that's how that kind of works. So instead of letting the client say the price first, you should drop your own anchor and start by saying, well, projects like this tend to cost in the $15,000 range, to which they're going to say, wow, that's a little bit too much. Can we do 12 and a half? And you say, okay, well, maybe I, we need to talk about the scope a little bit more. And you start to understand scope a little bit better. And then you agree to 12.5. So that seems to work. So now not only did you get your $10,000, you made also an additional $2,500. The second concept in which you're talking about is called price bracketing where you give a range of prices and that helps the clients to get a feel for what this is going to cost. So in a case like this, the ideal way to say this is projects like this can cost anywhere between 20 to maybe $15,000, something like that. Now I would go with a bigger spread between the two, 20 to 15 doesn't sound right. So I would say like between 25 to $15,000, depending on what you want, we, we would probably need to have further discussion. How does that sound to you? So now you're doing anchoring, but you're also giving them a bracket to work within. So when you say between 25 to 15, they can sit there and say like, oh, okay, maybe it's 18.5 or maybe it's 22 mm -hmm. or no, actually we can do the full 25, no problem at all. And in your mind, you're still thinking, I would have settled for 10. Anything yeah. around 10 would have been great. So you're using all these things to help you. And de depending on who you are and how much experience you have, you should say the price first. Almost always, you should say the price first. Now, if you're doing a project for a totally new industry, something completely different than what you're normally used to doing, 
you should not say the price first. You should let the client say the price first because you don't know what you're doing. You can easily enter into a conversation where you say, oh, I'm going to ask for like $35,000. And you're like, you know what? I won't take a penny less than $35,000. But in that industry, they're used to paying people $80,000, $95,000. Now you've just anchored yourself really low. And they're thinking, I don't think this person knows what they're talking about. So in a case like this, and it's happened to me several times, I'll say something like this. I'll say, you know what? I'm, I'm so new to this industry in this vertical specifically, and I've never done anything like this before. What have you paid people like me to do this kind of work in the past? So I'm very upfront about it. And when you say that, then you give the clients an opportunity to say, well, Chris, it's going to be usually somewhere around 75 to $85,000. Is that something you can work with? And you, you can then say, I think there's something there that we can work with. So the first time is like almost a discovery. If it's a brand new industry, a brand new project you're doing, so you're allowing them to say the number. The next time I would go into a similar project, I might choose to anchor higher and see, see where I land. You could, but let me, let me clarify. I don't mean to say that the first time you're in, in this with this client, you, you let them say the price first. I'm talking about, let's say, I give you a concrete example, okay? I've never designed an interior uh, to a building before. And my clients literally asked me to design the interior to a building. And I'm thinking, oh, well, I've done identity design, I've done packaging, I've done signage, I've done motion graphics and things like that. But I've never, I don't tackle interiors. So then I just ask them, what kind of budget do you have for this based on what you want? And then they give me a number. And then based on my own gut feeling, like, that sounds like too little or is I, I can work within that. That's the only time when you're stepping into a field that you don't know anything about, that's when you do it. Not with a first client. That's That's a totally different conversation. Yeah, brand new field. And when you were mentioning the price bracketing, you kind of gave me a pause. You were like, yes. well, it's somewhere between twenty-five and $15,000. So is the pause intentional? I'm glad you picked that up uh, because I want to let the anchor do its job, which is to let it settle in. So if I say something like 25, 15, then they're not going to hear the 25. They're going to go straight to the 15. And so you do want to do that. Plus, oh. when you pause, it looks like you're really thinking about it. Like, uh, I think it's going to be somewhere. And the way I say this and the tone in which I say it's quite important. Because if you listen to the tonality, I'm going to do it again. And then you describe it to me what it sounds like to you. Okay? Let's mm -hmm. do it again. So projects like this can be anywhere between 25,000. And probably around 15. How does that sit for you? I feel like you're generally thinking about the project that we're discussing. And like you're reflecting back and then bringing it forward. And you're even that 15 wasn't quite sure. That was almost like, mm, I don't, I'm not sure if it's going to be this little <laughs> is what I picked up. <laughs> yes. And when you're, you're floating a number out there like that, I think that's the kind of tone that you want to take versus it's 25, 15, because that gives you no room to work with them. And it feels like you're closed off and I don't want to be closed off. I'm trying to help the clients find a number that's going to work for them. And I want to say in a way that it's comfortable for both of us. Like we're, we're drawing a sketch in, in the cloud somewhere. Uh, we're looking at paint on a wall and trying to decide what that looks like. And that's okay for us to do it like this. It's not like you want to say it's like $14,473.24. You're not trying to say it like that. 
how do you feel about, you know, typically let's say the general rule online is like, if you're charging more than 2000, maybe don't put your price on a website. I don't know how legit this is, but I would love your take on like, if we are charging the five figure range or more, should, should I even have that on a website? So potentially people who are not my perfect big clients don't even like reach out and kind of don't waste my time in a bit or do the people who can't afford it. They're just going to be like somehow still scared away. They're like, Oh no, no. So, cause you don't have, you don't have that conversation. So they don't even reach out in the first place. So love your take there. Asking for a friend myself. Okay. <laughs> who told you that rule by the way? It's probably, this is more like when you have, I guess the online course coaching space, when you have, Anything that's $2,000 or below, you most likely will have a sales page and a checkout page, you know, and the people can just like purchase and go into the course and do the thing by themselves. Or typically if you're charging more than that, you know, I feel like I don't, maybe it's not a rule, but like typically people then will get you into a sales call. Be like, okay, well, here's everything about the program. Apply here to have a call. Yeah. So did you answer my question? Who told you this? I don't think I have a specific, this is probably like just the industry, that industry. You could do that. Yes. You can like the government, the industry, <laughs> you could say that. I know what you're talking about and, and it is a school of thought there. So let's, let's unpack this for our, for the listeners. Okay. So when we have a high price, when we say like five figures, it's generally for a lot of people, like too much money. It's, it goes beyond the impulse buy. let's pull out the credit card and let's make a purchase. So it requires typically a higher touch sales process to make it work. So you don't want to scare them off. So the idea, at least the concept from the industry is to not say the price. And so they drag you along in a process deep into a funnel. You had to mm -hmm. schedule a call and then you get on the call. And then eventually somewhere in that call, probably 30 minutes in, they're going to talk about the price. They're going to qualify you. They're going to sell you on the emotions and all that kind of stuff. And I have to say, from a buyer's perspective, I want to know the price. I don't want to waste my time. If it's $14,000 and I'm thinking this is a $2,000 operation, you just waste a lot of my time. And I think marketers use that as, as a lever to say, like, you've wasted all this time. They don't literally say this, but you've wasted all this time. Keep moving forward. Keep taking steps because they know it's hard for people to back out. It, the phenomenon is like in retail space. If, if you're a normal person, this is typically what happens. You go into a retail space, the sales clerk helps you to like a crazy degree. Like, you look great. Let me get you this. Let me try this. Anything else? You want shoes and here's earrings. Here's a cup of water. And all of that service makes you feel like you have to buy something. Otherwise, you're like racked with guilt. Do you feel that way? Or is it just me? A sales I mean, I haven't had too many, though. I think the, fir the first coaching program I've ever bought, which was like 5k, let's say three years ago. Like I, I, they got me to a place where I felt like I had to prove myself to them, which yes. I was like in reflection. Now I was like, Oh my God, how smart. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, cause they were like, I literally was there like presenting myself and I was like, yeah. So they did a great job there. But yeah, I was like, literally, I was like, Oh, I need this. Like I'm, I was enrolling myself. So yes, because they're very smart at doing that. So what's happening is you're saying, how smart of them? And I also think, how smart of them and how diabolical of them to get you in that place where you're sweating it out, trying to prove to yourself, yes, I want this. Here's my check. Take my money kind of situation, right? 
So that's one school of thought. And I think it's very effective. Except for it doesn't sit well with how I want to be in the world. It doesn't fit with my ethos and my brand. And so I like to be very transparent with pricing. And I'll tell you why. And I'll make the argument for the opposite approach. So here, here's the deal. Here's the alternate approach, which is to be transparent with your pricing because pricing is positioning. Now, if you think about luxury brands or premium goods, like like um, premium cars, you you know the price. And they actually hold the price uh, as a thing to be proud of. Our cars do not cost $30,000. They start at 100K. So what happens is everybody in the world knows to be able to ride in that car, at minimum, you're going to spend $100,000 and it's valuable to them. They want you to know that the Rolex watch costs that much, that the Fendi or the Gucci handbag costs that much because pricing is positioning. It also helps to discourage people from wasting their time because if you're sitting there and you're a looky-loo, a window shopper, a tire kicker, you're not going to sit there and, well, I know you said it's 16000 but would you take four hundred? Yeah. What part of 16000 don't you understand? Yeah. We'd love to help you, but you got to get to that place and maybe this is not the right time for you. And so when I, my program, my brand lab, for example, it's $18,000 for six months. We put that right up front. It's right there. You cannot miss that part because I do not want to get on a sales call with you if this is not within the ballpark of what you want to spend. Do you have that kind of money? Do you have the intention to spend that kind of money? Do you want that kind of growth? Yes, let's have a conversation. Then I can apply all these sales techniques, so to speak. But at that point, that person is already semi-committed. I don't want to waste time. So I use pricing as positioning to say, you know what? There are cheaper programs. Please investigate all of them. And if you don't think this is valuable, please don't get on the call. It's a waste of everyone's time. Please don't do that. And that's why we do that. You're touching upon positioning, targeting. So I was in your business clinic in Berlin earlier this year. And the one thing... I really remember is that you were having a conversation with another guy there and basically got to the conclusion through talking to him that let's say eight out of 10 sales calls he's hopping on is with his non-ideal clients. So he's basically wasting eight hours a week doing calls with clients who could never afford him or invest in him. And this goes back to us freaking struggling of like we know we're supposed to niche down and know who our target market is and we're just like struggling to I don't know I've again the industry or the general consensus I feel like people are just struggling to like explain who they're working with and that's when you end up in situations where you hop on calls with non-perfect clients so I almost want do you have an easy way for one to start refining the process of like this is my target audience like this is actually who I should be hopping on a call with because otherwise you can't really put any systems in place to get rid of the wrong people if you don't even know who the right people are. Yes. I think when you aren't specific about who you want to work with and what you charge and the services you provide, it signals to the market in most cases that you're insecure and you're not confident about what it is that you're doing. And I talked to Eamon who's the former CEO of AppSumo. And he said, it's kind of like when you, when you go on a web page, it's kind of like a love letter that's written to whom it may concern. It should say, <laughs> dear Vendy, you know, it was great the last time we met, 
in, in Berlin and we did X, Y, and Z. It should be very, very specific. And I, mm-hmm. I interviewed someone yesterday. His name is Yasmin and, and he writes for LinkedIn and he's actually very good on LinkedIn and he teaches Fortune 500 companies how to show up on LinkedIn, right? Love and it. he said, here's one, the number one writing hack that he loves the most. He said, because he's a father, he writes, dear son, and he writes the whatever he wants to write and he says, love dad. And then he goes back and he deletes the dear son, love dad. And the reason why he does this is because he wants to set his tone, his intention, and he wants to picture someone specific in mind and he wants to write to that person. Imagine if we all did this, if we pretended we were writing to someone we loved and cared about and was looking after unconditional unconditional love, how would that change the way we were write? How would that change the way we show up? And it would make it much easier to write. I don't know about you. I am a father myself. And when I think about my children, I write a very specific way. I get more emotional. I'm much more personable. And I'm not trying to like just smash heads and, and, and be polarizing because I don't want to do that. I want to look after my children. And so if we did that, we would be more consistent. We would be clearly targeting someone and anyone who felt that energy, even though they didn't know it was written for my son, would, would probably connect a little bit more and it would resonate with them a little bit more. And so that's the problem with the person that you're referring to in the, in the business clinic is that of the 10 clients that call them, none of them he has any idea who they are, only two out of 10, 20%. Are qualified to speak to him are aligned with what it, what it is that he does and what he wants to do. And those are very different things. And so if he could just get rid of the eight, he would recapture most of his day back and pour into the two that are the right fit. And the way that we do this is we have to build gates. We have to keep the, the snakes and the wolves out of the garden so that they don't kill the hens and, and eat all, uh, all of the livestock. We, we need to keep them away. And the way that we do that is we visualize in our mind who we're speaking to. We adopt the language. We touch the pain points. We speak about the solutions that they desire. And we show them relevant case studies to them in a design language that feels reflective of who they are. In that way, we turn it from to whom it may concern to dear Vendi. And I feel like in a theoretical level, most of us understand this and equally when you're new in business everyone's like well whoever basically gives me money i'm going to work with or like i don't know yet or i don't have enough data and this might be going on for years you know you might be in business for five years already and you're like it's kind of it's either i don't know or what i hear is also i have worked with so many different people like from so many different spaces and industries and they're like i don't even know which one to pick Okay, I'm going to push back a little bit. Please. To know something and not to do it is not to know it. When you say Fair. we all know this, but we don't do Fair. it, then I say, actually, you don't know this. If I tell you, you need to eat to survive, you're like, I know, but you don't eat, guess what's going to happen? You really don't know that. And yeah. so I think what we're saying is there's a conflict. Like conceptually, we understand it, but emotionally, we don't embrace it. So that therefore, we don't really understand it. That's my opinion on this. So when people are starting out, they're very indecisive, they're insecure, they're desperate, I think is the word that we're talking about. And so they say to themselves, uh, any person will do. If you have a, a, a pulse and you have some money, I will take you on as a client. 
Now, yeah. all we have to do is we have to apply this logic to something else in our lives that we're aware of. And then we'll see like why this is a pretty dumb idea. So there's a point in your life, I don't know if you are today, but when you're single and you're looking for a partner in life to, to a companion to kind of travel the road with you. This and if you me, say yeah. to yourself, anything <laughs> that walks in the door will do, that's what you're going to get. So literally, mm. you know, a sheep walks in the door, and I'm, you'll do, you'll be my companion. A cat walks in the door, well, you'll be my companion. Or somebody who's not going to be very nice to you walks in the door, you're like, yeah, okay. There's there's a funny uh, uh, expression that I've seen some people wear. It's like, I'm not looking for Mr. Right. I'm looking for Mr. Right now. So that says, you know, I'm, I'm pretty loose with my standards. I'm loose with my own confidence. And anybody will do. We don't care. Jobless, we don't care. You don't bathe, no problem. You don't love your parents, no problem. You just take anybody. And we, we kind of think like that. That's not, to me at least, it sounds kind of repulsive. Because when I meet this other person and they have no standards, I feel like I'm just trash myself. Oh, you don't care who you date. And even though I fell for you, I thought you're my perfect match. You just don't care at all. So I'm looking for someone who's looking for me so that we feel like we're like star-crossed lovers, you know, a match made in heaven. That's what we're looking for, our soulmate. And so if you don't get specific about who it is that you want to attract, you attract anybody. And anybody typically doesn't have a lot of money, won't treat you well. And I don't know who wants to set themselves up for that. So I think it's important that we know this concept and we actually do this. We need to put it into action. I know exercise is good for me, but if I don't do it, nothing will improve. We know this already, right? So to say like, I want to get fit. I want to eat right and not exercise and not eat right is to say we don't know anything. Uh, I believe the term is called lip service. You just moving your lips, but you're not actually doing anything. So you want to talk to talk, but walk to talk. What would be the first thing if someone is now looking, let's say at least 20 people they have worked with in a past, literally just circling the ones I'm like, I really like these people. And then trying to craft messaging around that me like to attract more of those three people out of 20, they really enjoyed working with, like just a bit more specific there. Sure. Let's borrow from Alan Dibb, who references somebody else in his book, The One Page Marketing Plan. He says, we should use the PVP model. And I always have a hard time remembering this because like PVP, what the heck? So if you just remember MVP, which is most valuable player. Yeah. And make it symmetrical. So it's PVP, everybody. PVP. The first P stands for personal fulfillment. Like how much does this make your heart sing? And if it really makes your heart sing, this is the work you were meant to do. Like, I love skateboarding. I love video games. I love mixed martial arts. So if any one of those clients walked in the door, that would make my heart sing. There are other things that make my heart sing, but let's just say those three. Next thing is V, value to market, which means that this market wants to pay a lot of money to get this thing done. So there are some things that might give you great personal fulfillment, but the market puts no value to it at all. And it'll be very low price. For example, toilet paper doesn't matter how good the toilet paper is. There's only a certain value to market unless there's, it's, there's a shortage in the pandemic. Then the value to market is much, much higher. And the last P is profit. So there's value, what people will pay. But you have to look at the percentage of that that's actually profitable for you. So the, Alan Dibb says, take every type of client that you've ever worked with and score them on 110 on these three dimensions. Personal fulfillment, value to market, and then profit. 
And so the highest possible score is 30. The lowest possible score is three. And then mm -hmm. start to take a look. Like, yes, these are high between 20 to 30. These are low between one to 10 or some between three to 10. And then you want to immediately get rid of the three to 10s. The 10s, the 20s, you need to think about. The 20 to 30s, you say, yes, more please. And then you can use a scale like this or you can invent your own. It doesn't really matter. Just think about what matters to you, what's important to you. And the reason I was going so much into the targeting, because another thing I remember from our workshop together is that everyone went to marketing, marketing advice, marketing tips and tactics. And you're like, none of that is going to fly. Either it's LinkedIn or YouTube or your website if we actually don't know who we're talking to. So it's like we're all trying to go into like, what type of content should I create? And you're like, well, who are you actually talking to? And we're like, I don't know. Oh, I remember <laughs> so it was it was it was a whole beautiful workshop and because i love talking about pricing so much i and i know you're a fan of hermosi as well so am i you know hermosi in his book is always like well you should be like the most expensive thing in your market like so far apart that it just creates a perception in one's mind that their service or offering is going to be so much different um some of your videos i have seen where you gave advice to people within the design space being like, hey, you should price according, imagining you're gonna hire someone just as good as you or better so that you could pay them and make a margin and then you basically get to decide if you wanna do the project yourself or not. But basically, again, a similar concept of like, charge more. <laughs> so how much more, Chris? <laughs> how much more should I charge on the market? I don't know, it's, it's a hard, uh, question to ask because it's reflective of your your confidence, your skill set, and how much runway you have. So that, mm. uh, that advice works for people who have runway, have self confidence, and have a skill set. So they can ask for whatever they want. They can wait it out. And I'm the type. Let, let's just say this, okay? Since you brought up Hormozy, he's the person I've wanted to have on the podcast because so many of our friends and fans are also fans of Hormozy. So they're like, "Oh, you guys have to do something. Worlds need to collide." DC and Marvel need to come together. And I'm, yes, I'm like, great, right? <laughs> so I meet Alex at a dinner. I meet him at a conference and we do talk. And in, in concept, we've agreed that we'll, we'll do a podcast together, but he's a really busy guy. And so people are like, you want an introduction? You want, I'm already met him, already talked to him. I have his information. And I say to people, I'm a patient guy. I would just wait for it to happen. I don't need to chase it. And if he doesn't find significant value in being on our podcast or it's not aligned with his values, I totally understand. Harassing him more about it, it's really not going to create the kind of relationship I'm trying to build, right? We have a top 20 marketing podcast. So maybe when I get to being top 10 or top five or number one, he'll say yes. And so I'm going to work on my skill set. I'm not going to sit there and be like, wow, he's a terrible person. He has Well, I have to take a hard look at myself and say, what is it that people like Alex desire and and if if I can understand that, if I could achieve it, then I make myself much more attractive. And so when we understand this, we need to sit down and we need to wait. But let's just say now, I'm in a desperate situation. I, I no one's listening to our podcast. We need a superstar guest to be on the podcast. Then I'm going to act and behave very differently. I might be sending him weekly letters. I might send him protein snacks or i don't know i might show up to the gym and work out right next to him so like, yo bro i know you lifted here of course i did because i stalked you and you could do all that kind of stuff 
but I don't want to play like that. And so I think for people who, who want to raise their prices, well, it depends. Do you have any work? Are you able to pay rent? And I know people like this too, Vendi, that they have no work and they're going to take the high road. Their work is not very good. They have no opportunities. They create no content. They're doing zero in terms of thought leadership. They speak on zero stages. They have no content vehicle. And they're just sitting there like, well, the world's not ready for me, Chris. I'm like, I know. We're not ready for you, man. And so you're going to sit there and you're going to be broke. So I think on one end, it's like super delusional to say like, we're going to charge so much money and we have no work mm -hmm. and we have no credibility. We have no receipts. We got none of that. And to expect the world to come. And on the other side of it, it's like you have enough runway. You're confident. You have a case studies. Life is going to go on no matter what. Whether you have that client or not, it's life is going to go on. And in that way, you become much more attractive so less desperate. And I think people are more inclined to, to come and do something with you. Now, as of this recording, we were supposed to do something with Hormozy. It was scheduled. I flew out to Las Vegas. And sadly, he had a personal emergency, so he couldn't do that. And so, again, I will sit there and I will wait. No problem. I'm loving this. And I'm also wondering... Someone who wants kind of wants the clients in the next couple of months and also is willing to wait it out. Would you offer basically different packages to people or what is your take on like just basically having two or three different offers? So when you do hop on a sales card with someone being like, hey, well, we have this very high, super customized, high ticket thing that maybe a low percentage buys and then there's something in the middle and there's something on a lighter end so you still get some cash flow in whilst waiting for that i guess almost the first person to say yes to the very high height thing because from the moment they say yes you probably have the confidence built up and you're like oh now i can if i choose to i can probably do more of this and i have the cash flow there so yeah there's a couple of ways i want to think about what you just said there okay first of all when somebody doesn't buy my high ticket offer it's not that i lack confidence i have all the confidence and it's not to try to acquire more confidence because I have the confidence to say it to the world and I'm sticking to it and I'm willing to pay the price of not being as busy because no clients are coming. But what it what is signaling to me is I need to learn how to market and talk about my offer such that there are going to be more people that are going to become interested in, in it. So I don't want to sit here and passively sit there and like, well, when it happens, it happens. Like mm -hmm. I said, with the Hormozy example, I'm not going to just sit there and like wish for it to happen. I'm going to continue to prove my interview skills, raise the profile of our podcast, invite the kinds of people who are going to start to change the dialogue around the conversations that we're having on our podcast, such that eventually the word travels out to the people I want to attract, like the Hormosis of the world and say, you know what, we got to get ourselves on Chris's podcast to a point in which I say, well, there's a six month wait list. I'm sorry. Right? right? So I feel already confident. And here's what I know about myself, Andy, which is the price I give you today will always be the lowest price I offer it at. And if you watch my career and you see the things that we've priced in terms of our services and our products, you'll see that generally speaking, they only move in one direction. It's like gravity in reverse. They only go up. Mm -hmm. Case in point. You used to get on the phone call with me and I would give you free coaching, quite literally. And it started to suck up all of my time. And then I started charging, I think it was 
$500 an hour. And then it went to $750 an hour. Then it went to $1,500 an hour. And I was thinking, that's it. That's the most anybody's ever going to pay me. And I, I remember distinctly when I was first getting out of school and I was working at an ad agency, I heard of a copywriter who charged $1,500 a day. And it blew my mind. And it was kind of like the water cooler talk. Like, what does a person got to do to be worth that much money? And they must be really good at writing. And so here I am, flash forward 30 years later, I'm getting it an hour. And I'm getting booked up so much that I changed the price again. And I don't go to $3,000. I go to $5,000 an hour. It's five grand an hour. For people who booked me at $1,500, I give them the legacy price, which is that price. And they're, they're grateful. And for people who didn't, they're like, shoot, I should have bought it at $1,500 an hour. I'm like, yeah, you're right, because now it's five grand. And for a period of time, no one calls, no one books. I'm like, great, I have all my free time back. This is excellent. And then one person books and then two people book. And it's like, I, it's not that I didn't have the confidence. I already know I can do this. So what I have to do in the meantime is continue to be on stages, to share ideas, to be on podcasts, and to continue to articulate the, the ideas that I believe in that can be transformative in helping people achieve what they want. So somebody's going to listen to this like, you know what? Gosh darn it, I better get that before it goes to eight or nine or ten thousand yeah. dollars an hour because it just will go up. So I want to clarify that. It's not that I need them to validate the price. The price is validated in my head already. I'm waiting for them to find the value. So in the meantime, I'm gonna keep hustling, I'm gonna keep learning, I'm gonna keep creating content so I can attract them to me. Now, to answer your question, there's an idea that Russell Brunson wrote about in his book, Dot Com Secrets, called the full value ladder. And he's like, most people leave a lot of money on the table because they're at the bottom of the ladder or they're at the top of the ladder. So what you want to do is you want to create a full value ladder that there's a different price point at every rung of the ladder. And there's many different ways to describe this. Okay, so everybody visualize in your mind a ladder. So at the bottom rung, it's the easiest one to reach. Maybe that's your free content. That could be podcasts, YouTube videos, Instagram carousels, LinkedIn posts. And you might want to go one up from that, which is a low price or a what they call like a like a lead magnet which is that's not free to get this resource you have to give us your email or you have to give us your phone number or you have to do something or you have to like this post and share it three times so now the person has to give you something which it's not monetary but they do have to give you something of value to them <clears throat> as you move up you might have an ebook a 35 dollars ebook that's going to explain the principles of design branding marketing sales something like that so now they're going to give you money. And this is where it gets real interesting because when someone gives you money for something that you do, a different kind of relationship emerges, a professional one versus like, well, it was great to consume Chris's content or Vendy's content. I don't owe them anything. They don't owe me anything. It's just like that, right? So now money is exchanging hands and now you have a name, a credit card or something like that, that is very valuable to you because now, you know, they're willing to make some kind of commitment in the PDF booklet that you give to them it's full of your best content and somewhere in there it's like you know what i'm running a mastermind or i have a coaching program or i have a course that goes much deeper into this if you'd like to see a seven hour course i'm putting together that's a thousand and four hundred dollars let's say and so you just keep building a ladder all the way up until you get to the point and maybe the top of it is for me an eighteen thousand dollar mastermind for personal branding called the brand lab and so you can consume it from free all the way up to an $18,000 program. And can I ask from a 
financial perspective, where percentage-wise is most of the revenue coming from? Is it from a couple of the big sales or maybe multiple big sales? Or is it the long tail that actually brings in the revenue in the long run? Just curious. It's hard to unpack all this stuff, but I will do my best, okay? Most of the revenue from our percentage-wise comes from our coaching communities. These are not one-to-one things. This is a one-to-many operation. We have currently three programs. We have Accelerator, we have Pro Group, and we have Brand Lab. Accelerator is the cheapest one that we have. I believe it's $99 a month. So for $1,200 a year, you can get into Accelerator. It's for people who are trying to scale to $100,000. Mm-hmm. The pro group is anywhere uh, for anyone who's in business that are trying to go from $100,000 to a million dollars in revenue. That group is $250 a month. And so it's more than two times the price of Accelerator. So in that group, we have about four or 500 people and capping it off at 1000 And then the very highest end for people who are in the million dollar to $5 million range, range, it's a guideline. Mm-hmm. That program is $18,000 a month. And theoretically, we'll only take 100 people in it. Currently, there are 10 people or maybe 11 people in it. So you can look at the revenue. The ones in the middle are going to make the most amount of money. Almost always the one in the middle. So Accelerator is doing really well. It's got over 500 people. So that's 500 times 100 times 12, whatever that number is. That's a lot of money. And then $250 times 12 times 500. That's a lot of money. But don't sleep on this other option. The third tier option, when it's fully enrolled, when we have 100 people in it and it's going full year, it'll be $3.6 million in revenue. So it would be more than the other two combined when it's fully operational, like the Death Star. Right now, it's not fully operational yet. Chris, you have a massive audience <laughs> on YouTube. So is, YouTube is like 2.5 million something. 2.3 something, yeah. Well, we're 2. calling 5, it. By the time this comes out, probably 2.5. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And almost a million on Instagram and half a million on LinkedIn. Realistically, how much content do you need to be producing on a weekly basis to grow to that level? And, and what's the time frame? So if I was like, Chris, my goal is to get to 2 million on YouTube, let's say. Let's start with one platform, 2 million YouTube subscribers. What would you tell me to do in terms of consistency or any other approach. So I'm like, I, I, I'm like, I, Chris is a human being just like me, which means whatever Chris can do, so, so can I, right? So I'm like, what is, what is the realistic expectation to build that out right now? Okay. <clears throat> Very good question. So you want a, a YouTube strategy on how to grow to 2 million followers. Well, so what we yeah. have to do is we have to take a couple, we have to ask you a few questions. In what amount of time do you want to achieve that? How much money do you want to spend? What are the resources that you have? What are the constraints that you have in terms of your time to make content? And then ultimately, what is it that you offer and what is the goal of achieving this thing? Aside from achieving a number, what does 2 million followers or subscribers mean to you? So let's break it down, okay? So I've got notebook now. Now I got to get to work. Love. So I was just sitting here (laughs) thinking. All right. 2 million subs over what period of time? How many months? well, in my mind, it's at least two years. I mean, we're at least here, two years. Like, so we say 24 months. Yeah. Okay. So what we do day. is we take 2 million and then we just divide it by 24. And on average, you need to get 83,000 subs a month. 
Now, the way YouTube's going to work is it's not a linear thing. You could be one of those very rare people, and I wouldn't bet on it, that the first month is like a banger and you're out of the gates and you've got a viral hit and people are just loving on you. Typically, what happens is for the first six months, you get like a few thousand subscribers, not even 83,000 per month, not even close. And then eventually you start to find your cadence and then you hit that, that, that moment where you find your voice and your audience and your community starts to show up. But if you were to spend a ton of money to be coached on how to do this, you could theoretically in the first couple of months hit this. So now the next question is, we understand the timeline. How much money do you want to spend in equipment, in resources, in training, in thumbnail design, in editors? How much money do you want to spend to get the 2 million followers or subscribers? This is a... This is a good one because I have the equipment, I have the editors. This is where I would have to, because I do a lot of creative direction and do editing, I would have to invest in, let's say, editors who do the whole thing. And in my mind, I mean, in my mind, you invest probably two to 5,000 at least for that. Two to 5,000? Dollars. Per? Month month okay a spread between two to five is pretty wide so let's come up with a number in between what number feels right to you Let, let's start with 2000 so we to spend 2000 on basically editing okay so that means you're committed to spending 48k to get there for editing for coaching for help for writing for all that kind of stuff right okay so, and if you hit the 2 million subscribers, what is this going to do for you personally and professionally? What do you think it's going to do? Honestly, the reason I was even playing with it is because I feel like it would personally stretch me. Like I would be a completely different person at two. Like if I would have to grow so much. So this is for me, not even the numbers game. I'm like, I want to see how that like version of Bendy looks like and what she had to learn. So I'm very much going from that angle. I'm like, what can, what am I capable of type of thing? Because like, there's no way that I not have to like completely change my mindset and how I operate and how I run everything to create that. And I'm like, oh, I'm curious. So probably more of like personal challenge slash fulfillment. Just like, what am I, what am I made of type of thing? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, there's a couple of things that you don't know. Um, I think this is going to be weird, but would you like to whiteboard this? Because sure. this sounds like a real question. You're not just asking a hypothetical. You actually want to get 2 million subscribers, right? I do. I was okay. looking at Chris's YouTube channel. I was like, I'm I'm a human being, same as Chris. Whatever Chris can do, so can I. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good mantra. But you have to do what Chris has done to get what Chris has got. So well, We start with having Chris on a podcast, you know? Uh, yeah, that, that might help. Uh, that's a good first step. But it's a very small first step because it hasn't required you to actually figure out how to do this on YouTube. And currently, how many subs do you have? 15. How many? 15, 15,000. 15,000, okay. And how long did it take you to get to 15,000? Uh, three years, though, I've been massively inconsistent. Like, okay. create 10 videos, quit for a yeah. year, that grows a lot, then create a lot, a lot again, then like, you know, go, go away. So consistency is what we're learning. I, yeah, I think people put a lot into consistency, but I actually don't think it's consistency at all. I think it's something a little bit different. 
I'm all yours. Okay. Okay. You want a a two million YouTube subscriber strategy, and you want to do this across twenty four months, and you want to spend two k. So you're committed to spending forty eight thousand dollars to get two million subs. Okay. I can already tell you right now, this is not going to happen. Hundred percent. Because I'll tell you what、that. we spend. Okay. <laughs> I、Please. spend currently, I spend I think thirteen thousand dollars a month for my YouTube content, a month. That makes sense. That and makes I'm sense. already at two point say three million subs. Okay, and I'll explain where this thirteen thousand dollars comes from. So some people are like, "What? What do you spend?" Okay,、uh, I spend about four k a month for writing. So I have people helping me with research and writing scripts and just figuring out ideas for me, and then the other nine k. Comes from、uh, different editors working on it for me, so they help、mm-hmm. to cut the episodes up. Basically, what I do is I record, and once I finish recording, it goes to them to then edit. They they make full length episodes, like what is referred to as longs. They、mm-hmm. make mids, and they make shorts, and then what they do is they come up with titles and thumbnails. And descriptions, and they have to monitor the comments as well. So they're dealing with that, okay? And and currently we're we're growing not super fast. I want to say like fifteen thousand new subs a month. And I'm an experienced person. I've been making content since two thousand and fourteen, so I'm in the game now nine years. So a little bit longer than you, and I think I'm pretty good. And and before that, I, I just, love your content. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. So we're spending roughly thirteen thousand dollars a month to gain fifteen thousand subs a month. So I can tell you right now, like you may be a miracle.、Uh, maybe you know how to dance or sing or do something. I don't know how to do. So you need, according to our calculations, and I didn't know it was from fifteen thousand, but let's fifteen thousand is not that different than zero. You want your goals to do. Eighty-eight thousand subs per month. So something, and you only want to spend a fraction of what we spend. It's not probably going to work. Okay, and there's a couple other factors that you need to consider. Number one is what we what we look at is AdSense. So we make AdSense revenue, right? And we do roughly,、uh, depending on what season it is, like ten k a month. So every year, every year we're going to generate about one hundred twenty thousand dollars of Really passive income. Okay, so if you could do the numbers that we do, your operating budget could be 120k. Your operating budget per year is only 24k, so you're massively underspending. So I try to tell people a YouTube strategy could be just to break even. So AdSense that goes in is 120k. Right, that means that you should spend at minimum 120k on on the production of the videos. I forgot to mention that we have managers and other people involved in this. Okay, so we can say at the bottom line is you'll make 120k, but it, the whole idea is to build authority and do personal development. So the 100k is not even important to you. So I tell my team spend all the money. Spend spend all of it because I'm not interested in using YouTube to make money at all. It's to build authority and to build community. And so what we do is we use a portion of this 120k in revenue, and we boost videos that we think are going to be good. 
So if we think it's good, we spend money against it. So on any given video, we might spend $2,500 a month to boost that video, to get it to, to like a much broader audience. The next thing is you're not considering brand deals. Okay. Mm. So brand deals help you to make even more money. So as your audience grows, like ours is at 2.3 million and yours will be at 2 million or whatever. That's the goal. The brand deals that you get will go up in value, right? Currently, do you do any brand deals? Just stepping into that space. Like I had my first conversations this week. <laughs> okay. So not so, yet. Working yeah. on it. Okay. Yes. Brand deals for us uh, could be anywhere on the low end, $18,000 just for one deal. And it's been as much as 120K. And is this one video? Is this going to be a campaign of videos? I don't even know. I don't really get involved in this stuff. It's typically just one video where we mention the sponsor and it's like, it's called branded content, right? So we're usually using the product or service in the video and we mention it and we, we provide links. So they'll pay for that. That's not to mention that there's affiliate deals, which many creators make a ton of money. People like Think Media, uh, I'll write it here, Think Media. They make a big chunk of money because they review products. So they do product reviews. And of mm-hmm. course, they make a percentage on everything that's sold. And you can make between 10 i I'm sorry, 10, 10, 10 to 50%. So if the product sells for $1,000, you can, in theory, make up to $500 per product sold. And you can sign up a lot of people to do this. So you can do this through affiliate I have a buddy, his name is Jacob, and Jacob does a million dollars annually in just affiliate deals alone through Amazon, uh, through uh, Adobe, and some other products and services. So that's a million dollars. So what, what it's telling me right now is, I'm sorry to say this, Vendi, you're not that serious about your YouTube strategy. But I'm here to help you. Yes. Okay. Yet is the word we're going to add at the end. Not that serious yet. (laughs) That's fine. Um, But this is a conceptual exercise. So when you start to look at the the economics of this, the answer is how much money are you willing to spend as much as I need to? Mm -hmm. So every month as you bring in new deals and you have to spend. So here's the weird thing. This is today. We're going to look at the timeline. So today is uh, December 5th. Okay, and then we're going to say December 30th or something like that. This is the timeline. Okay. By December 30th, you're going to generate some projected amount of money. And this is just conceptual. It's not real, meaning it could take three months or whatever. What you have to do is spend the money you're going to make today so that you can get that money. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. So I know that every month we're going to bring in $10,000 in terms of AdSense, it's bringing in different brand deals for me so I can spend thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 and know that I will not go in the, in the red on this because future money is already coming in. And here's the other thing too. I'm working on several deals right now where I'm going to get equity in the company. So there's a deal that we're negotiating right now where it's going to be X percentage of every product sold and every product that's sold, I also get X shares of stock. Very interesting. Right? So when you say I'm, I'm in it for personal development, fantastic. But you should also be in it for money 
and you're going to make some money doing this. And so we know that people who can command an audience and build community, their long-term brand value is going to be worth way more than the short-term revenue. So let's take a, take a look at something else here, okay? So what we do is in the short term is we need to make revenue, so we need to sell products, right? We, we got to sell, sell products and services. And so ebooks, courses, uh, training, uh, workshops, that kind of stuff. We need to make short-term revenue because without revenue, without cash flow, we're not going to be able to play tomorrow. And the whole point of the game is to play the game as long as possible. But unfortunately, all this stuff comes at a cost. Do you know what the cost is? The cost is... In investing? Nope, nope, not investing. Long-term brand value. I'll explain this concept a little bit. There was something in the Harvard Business Review about measuring the value of a brand. So there are companies that are worth a lot more money than what they make in terms of revenue. One such company is Tesla. Hopefully I draw the Tesla logo correctly here, right? Tesla is worth way more because the potential brand play in that they are the market leader for electric vehicles, right? So Tesla stock is worth way more than the actual cars that they sell. It's so shocking that Tesla is worth way more that they can actually buy Mercedes-Benz, which has been in business much longer and really knows how to build cars. Is that not wild? And so what we do is we have to kind of think every time you sell and do what they call performance marketing, which is what this is, you take from long-term brand value. Okay. You follow me? You understand this? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because what happens is when I give you something of value, um, what's the icon for value? Oh, okay, I know what it is. Let's pretend this is a really good icon for value, okay? When you give somebody value and they give you money, that's a transaction. Mm-hmm. So value for money. But if I give you value for no money, what I'm doing is I'm building something called goodwill. Yeah. And that's another word for trust. So what happens is if this is a timeline here and we look at value, okay, and this is time, every time you make a piece of content that you then do a transaction, it drops back down again. Mm-hmm. You build some value and you sell it. You follow me? Mm-hmm. And this is the model that a lot of people use. So you'll notice that the value isn't ever very far. So maybe you go for a really long stretch and you start to build that value again. And then you make a transaction, you go right back down. Our idea, and it's not our own idea, and Alex Ramosi actually explained this really beautifully on stage, and I just make it visual, is what if you could just keep giving value for as long as possible without asking for anything? So he said this in his latest book. And he said that audience compounds in value 
faster than money. Mm. So here we are. We've been creating content since 2014, and we're really ramping it up every single year. So now it's like you'll see multiple pieces of content from us per day. When in the beginning, we would do one piece of content every one to two weeks. Now we'll do one to two pieces of content per day. Mm-hmm. The frequency has gone way up, but we ratchet it up as we figure out our our content model, our audience, and our value proposition, and our unique selling point, Right. Like, what can I do that's different than what everybody else is doing? So this is why the investment into this is much greater. It's also why people quite literally sign up for our emails for no other reason except for to give us their emails because they feel connected to what we do. This is also why people will send us money for no other reason to say, thank you very much, brother. Mm. And they've sent, uh, they've spent, sent me as as little as say five bucks a month these are our sustaining members five dollars a month some people who have sent me quite literally thousands of dollars just to say thank you that to me is a love note mm-hmm. so when you lean too far on this side this side goes down yeah but if you go too far on this side it means you'll be broke So you have to kind of find the balance between these two. Now, I look at it like, you know what? If possible, let's look at it like this. This, to me, is how much value I want to give for the ask. Yeah. And Hormozzi writes about this in his latest Mm -hmm. book. I think he does, at minimum, a four-to-one ratio. Give four times before you ask for one thing. He's like, the more you can give, the better. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give you proof right now, okay? Um, I don't know you that well, Bendy. But we did meet in person in Berlin, right? And you bought a ticket to a workshop from a stranger. Yeah. And I didn't have to sell you that hard. Basically, I went on LinkedIn and on Instagram and on Twitter, now X, right? And I just told people, I'm going on a European tour. I'm doing a series of workshops. Please join me. Uh, seating is limited. And in almost every city that we went to, we we sold out for the size of the venue that we had. Okay. So let me ask you this question. Why did you buy a ticket to a workshop from a stranger? Because I've gotten a ridiculous amount of value from you on YouTube. Um, at the very beginning of my business, just like hearing those couple of YouTube videos, it's like I immediately raised my rates. I was like, I can do this. <laughs> I, I love this concept. This makes sense. I implemented your free thing that made me money. And I actually saw an ad on YouTube uh, that you guys were running. I think YouTube Shorts or something about the workshop. And oh, okay. not only did I buy it myself, I got another person there, like an, a client of mine. I was like, we're going here. You live in Berlin. You must go like non-negotiable. And she hadn't heard of you. I was like, trust me, <laughs> you're going to Chris's thing. We're going together. So yeah, it was uh, like the moment there was an ask, I guess. I was like, thank God. <laughs> Let's go. And especially because you were in Europe. I was like, this guy, I was like, he's from, I was selling you for it for you to my, to my client. I was like, he's from the US. I don't know what he's doing in Europe. This is so convenient in person. Like I was just totally totally raving about you. So yeah, it's, 
the whole thing Who's you pointed out. Who's this person that you convinced into going? Faith. So you met her as well. We were sitting okay. next to each other. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. So here's how it goes. If I create so much value for you, eventually what people do is they ask me. I don't even need to sell. They ask, when are you coming to Europe? And th this is the messages that I get now. When they see pictures of me out, out in the world, they're like, wait, we didn't know you do this. We didn't know you actually go and see people. They come, come to this country, come to this city. And they're like, we will fill it up. And so that's what happens when you're on the, when you've created a lopsided amount of value for people, they will then ask, how do I give you money? How do I experience this with you? So when we were in Miami, we did a brand strategy workshop without a ton of marketing. 30 people came and they flew in from other countries. They flew in from Europe, believe it or not. Uh, somebody who uh, attended the Barcelona workshop, he showed up. I'm like, remember me? I'm like, oh my God, no wonder you look so familiar. So people flew out from Estonia and they flew out from, um, I'm forgetting now, I want to say Moldova, but that's not the place. And they came in from all parts of the United States to come to this workshop in Miami because you consistently give value and you show up and, and beautiful humans like Vendy will like see an, see an announcement. Basically, we boosted the announcement. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I'm in. But I'm not just in. I'm going to go evangelize for you. I'm going to just tell other people who know nothing about you, come. You're not going to regret it. I'm, I'm staking my personal reputation because if I sucked, how do you live with yourself? Your friend like, gee, thanks a lot, Vendy. You totally screwed me over on this one, you <laughs> dummy. Never going to do that again. Right. So it's on both of us. Like you're risking your reputation and then I need to consistently deliver. If I show up, I'm like, yeah, whatever people. And, and just half ass it, it it's going to create a different experience for you. From maybe I'm really weird in person, like, oh, I don't talk to people. I mean, what are you doing over here? I mean, what? then you, you would have a totally different experience too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was, this is a note I made to her though. I was thinking that you weren't charging enough for. An in-person Chris Doe event. I was like, how is this? I was like, we must go. Because I was like, this is, I can't remember. But it wasn't to, it wasn't even into thousands. I was like, does, does this guy know who he is? Do I need to tell him? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me ask you a question. Yep. Because I wanted to make sure that as we're going from city to city that we needed to sell out. Because I'm not going to show up for four people. That doesn't even make sense. I, I am energized by working with groups of people and we wanted to make sure. So we're, we're improving the workshop. I've got so many new ideas and ways of teaching and I've been working on it myself and getting training from other people, how to be a more effective teacher. So I can only imagine that the next workshop I do is going to be not a little bit better, but two, three X better. How much money should I charge? What's the price point you think? Dude, it's you and it's you in person though. Like you, I guess this depends on the size of the audience. Yeah. Because if you were going for, and that was quite still intimate as well. Like, I mean, it's pretty, yeah, easily... I think it's relatively intimate where I actually can see you and know your name. Yeah. I mean, I think you can easily pull off 10K. You can. Okay. Now, is it, is everyone going to say yes? Like, you want to get no. the same crowd, but right. like, it just, no one would question it. Like, because it, it's like, it's you in person. That's better than, or in my mind, any online coaching thing. Because it's like, Chris is there. <laughs> I get to interrogate him in person. Um, <laughs> equally, I mean, I love it. 
and equally probably easy yeses for like if you're still going for mass market like like just say it the won't be that range much. we started with yes. you know it, it will be some time before it's that kind of money but to to my whole pricing strategy i believe the european workshop was not even a thousand bucks for the it day wasn't. right the, right if you want to like... do both days it's even cheaper because we gave you a two for one thing and so i just did a workshop in miami as a prototype i charged twelve hundred dollars for a two-day workshop that that's just a test price the the yeah. price is going to be 2k and it's going to just keep going up so that's kind of yeah. where we'll be so we'll be between the two to three thirty five hundred dollar range yeah and I still want to make it affordable but i'm going to put a little some a little extras into it but it's i i like i think that but it's still a yes you know because it's like the first one was like i he's in europe that's chris Dell. What is this price? I'm flying to Berlin, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I bought the ticket, the flight the same day. It was just yeah. like immediate. And I was I was nearly going to go to another one because you were going to Estonia and I was in yeah. Latvia at that time. I was like, yeah. should I just like book another one after the first one <laughs> to listen to the whole thing? Because we were, we kind of messed things up for Chris in Berlin. We were an interesting audience for Chris. <laughs> he couldn't control us. <laughs> we were all over the map. So you know. you're a difficult crowd, but you know what though? At the end of the second day, we we all came together, and it was just I I have to say this, and I'm not saying this because you're in front of me right now. I would say it wherever there was something that was magical that happened in Berlin. I don't know what it was, and I if I could, I would recreate it in every city I went to. But at the end, there was kind of an emotional breakthrough, and I just felt like just this energy from the audience that I hadn't felt in a long time anywhere else, except for maybe in like a, my classroom after 14 weeks of torturing my students, where you kind of feel that. I mean, quite literally at the end of the second workshop, I was walking away. I'm saying, guys, I have to run. I'm, I'm losing my voice. I have a flight again tomorrow. And it was just so good to see all of you. And I just want to thank you. And people are like literally yelling out, love you. Thank you. It's like after we've spent all this torturous time together. Yeah. And and yeah. people had broken down. They started to cry. They opened up. And I felt like people who were resistant just changed their mind at some point. When I was like, this is a beautiful thing for me as a teacher to witness. Can I ask you a question about scalability for that? Like, what is yeah. what is the audience size you want in this new two, 3,000 price point? Because still, I feel like for you, because one thing is scaling online. And that's like in person, requires your time, requires your energy, requires you flying out. It just feels like a lot. And yeah. I was like, how is, I mean, it's gorgeous that he's doing it. But it's like, where is the scalability of that part? Like, do you want to, you're experimenting? Like, why are you doing it? I love that you're doing yes. it, but why? <laughs> well, the, the why and then, then the how to scale, right? And what are the limitations of this? You're absolutely right. If I do something on Zoom over, it's a pre-recorded course. It scales infinitely. There's no limitations except for like internet bandwidth or something and credit card processing power, which isn't very, it's like a, it's a, it's a giant number that I can serve. Mm -hmm. But then there is this thing that we all know where if you listen to your favorite band on, on a vinyl, it's beautiful. And you listen to on like really high end speakers and it's probably the most perfect version of that song. But what's happened is we know that sound is energy. And so the energy in which they transmitted was captured into microphones and then reproduced on a piece of vinyl. So we're getting some approximation of that energy. 
So then yet, why do people like the Swifties show up to a concert and pay thousands of dollars to feel something for two and a half hours? Because number one, there's something that's communal. And and I think as social creatures, we, we need to just remember, like, we're not alone in the world. And then we may not even know these people around us, but we start to, like, feel an energy with them. That's why viewing a movie at home by yourself is different than in a theater. Mm. Just because we feel like we hear somebody sniffling in the back, like, and then all of a sudden it causes us to, like, wait, why aren't, oh, I am sad too, but I've been holding it back. So then we let go together. Or we see older versions or future versions of ourselves in the people who show up, right? Mm. I used to be like that person. I used to be really resistant and resentful, or I'm aspire to be that person, so open-minded and willing to go with the flow. So we see different versions of ourselves in others that feels really safe. And then the last thing is, and, and I think you know this, so if a band sings, literally their voice in its purest frequency it's being transmitted to you and you feel it. Plus there are like these $30,000 speakers, maybe $100,000 speakers that are amplifying that in front of you. And then people jump and they dance and they yell and they wave their hands in the air. And that's nothing that you would ever do by yourself. I mean, you could be a weirdo, but, and you feel the ground quite literally shake as 20, 30,000 people jump at the same time. The Taylor Swift concert created actual freak vibrations that were measured, um, you know, that it was seismic. Think about that. Like she literally moved the audience and the entire crowd. It's pretty cool. So why do I want to do it? Because I didn't take much stock in this before, but there is something about my body, my energy, hitting your body, hitting your energy and sending it back. And so... I think there's something there that I think that's why people always say in person is always better. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Plus there's the whole idea of you, 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 you feel seen, you feel heard. Hey, I have a question. Like how does that, and you can have those little nuanced things be revealed to you that you don't get when you watch a video. Like you can say, that's all great, but, but then I can't hear you because it's one directional. Mm-hmm. It's unilateral versus bi-directional like we're not having a conversation so there's that and then there's the last part which for me is you might say something you might ask me a weird question as i'm writing on the whiteboard and i pause and i look at you and i make fun of you you make fun of me and we have a good laugh and i do something wildly inappropriate and you're like oh my god i didn't know he could be so goofy and weird and we have a moment and that moment is never recreated again so it's something that is locked in our experience and our memories of whatever happened so so berlin was unique First, you guys fought me, and then you loved me at the end, which was a pretty interesting uh, dynamic. Like, if you look at the emotional arc of, like, where we were to where we wound up, it was awesome. So I really enjoy doing in-person events because I think in another life, I would have been a stand-up comic if I wasn't so self-conscious and introverted. Because I really do like working with the crowd and, and, and feeling the energy and just playing with them. And I try to make it as engaging as possible. You know, it's difficult as much as you may love a course to stay engaged when you're just watching something on a two-dimensional screen. I don't know about you, but unless you're having a conversation with somebody, you start to like nod off like, this is great. I know I can make money. Huh? You know, like I'm reading Hormozy's book. I'm falling asleep too. 
because it's not how we say in, in, in engagement or in rapport with someone just by receiving information and it's taxing on the brain. So that's why I do it. And so here's my vision for the future. I, I want to do something in a very small way, like how comedians go on tour. They have a list of cities they're going to go to. They have a set. There's some opener. And then you do your bit and you're entertained and you learn something and you're able to apply what you've learned in your real life and to improve your situation. So I would love that. And I would love to do it on that kind of scale where there's cool merch that you get. And I don't know what it looks like, what it feels like. It has to be, of course, on brand. But it's like you you don't just walk away with the memory, the laughs, a little bit of the pain. But you actually have physical things that help to commemorate that event. I mean, dude, I'm like so ready for the next one as we're talking right now. I'm like, Chris, come on. <laughs> what city are you in, by the way? Where do you live? Right now in Austin, Texas. Um, what? So I'm, nomad I'm nomadic. I know. I know. Okay. I'm everywhere at all times and where are you originally so, from latvia okay all right yeah grew up there that's like dr doom i don't know who he is but you don't victor yes. von doom he's from <laughs> no, latvia sir. he's like uh, oh a dictator yeah okay he's a, well, he's a marvel character yeah okay there we go yeah. don't know anything about Mar i'm a girl okay <laughs> don't know the comics <laughs> right. don't understand now the references. you know yeah, so yes. you tell people you're from Latvia, and it's actually where Victor Von Doom, the fictional character, is from. Thank you. So when is the next? Because I feel like everyone's going to watch this, and they're like, we want Chris in person ASAP. Where? When is the next European tour, American tour, Australian tour, <laughs> wherever you're going, so we can follow you and okay. have these in-person experiences? There are a couple things that are in the works, not much, so much a tour, but... In theory, in, in February, March, I'm going to be in, in Dubai again, uh, doing a brand strategy workshop. I'm going to be in Vancouver in February, uh, doing both the business clinic and the personal branding workshop. And I believe New Zealand is also in the works, but that's not organized by me. It's organized by somebody else. So I think for 2024, I've been meaning to do this. I want to do a U.S. college university tour. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. And I have an idea. Students. Yes, I have an idea for it. So to, it'd be a low cost event, hopefully just to, to get students in and kind of inspire them and make them laugh and give them some pointers along the way. It'd be very much like in the spirit of an Aaron Draplin talk where I get to talk about the influences and the opportunities and the obstacles uh, along the way, and the things that I was able to to participate in and, and hopefully inspire a few people. That one is going to be really fun. Now, the plan there is to incorporate someone like Mo Ismail, who is a freestyle rapper and a musician and just a general fun guy to be around. So the idea is I would tell stories on stage and then he would then add some comedic elements and musical elements to it. So it'll be like a two-man show. We'd like to do that in 2024. I don't know how that's going to happen just yet, but I'm, we're in the early stages of working on the material, but the intention is set. And then to go back to Europe to do two day workshops and not do one day workshops, it's not enough. To gamify the experience, to put you into mini challenges and to get you to compete against each other while oh. you're learning the concepts. That, that'll that yeah. be the biggest change. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm you, down. You get what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I love competition. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I am in either in Europe or in the US as well. I'm going to be back and forth the whole time. Okay. I, can you tell everyone your crazy, generous goal in terms of the amount of people you want to reach and teach? Yeah. Lovely. And yes, then yes. touch upon why it's important to have a stupid big goal that you have no idea how to accomplish, but it kind of gives you a massive direction. Yeah. So my big, hairy, audacious goal, my BHAG, is to teach a billion people how to make a living doing what they love and not feel gross without losing their soul. And that's very important. And the expression has evolved a little bit. It used to be teach a billion people how to make money doing what they love, but it's just how to make a living doing what they love. So there's some parts of the equation I want to unpack. I believe that individually we're much more fulfilled and happy if we're doing something that we're passionate about versus doing something we have to do to pay the bills. So it starts with passion. But as you and I know, passion don't pay the bills. You can't deposit passion in the bank. You can't buy food with passion. So we have to learn some skills. We have to develop our creative skill, our ability to express it, but also our business acumen. And the two together make us fully formed people. And I was recently introduced to this concept of fractals. Like I know what fractals are in art, but I didn't know fractals existed in life. So um, Pastor Erwin McMahon, uh, shoot, what is his last name now? Erwin McManus, uh, he told me about this. There's a place in Mexico where the entire city, and they, they're not even aware of the concept of fractals, uh, is all designed around a fractal. He said that if you look at the design of a home, it is reflective of the city. And if you zoom in to the home, the, the bathroom is reflective of the home itself. And then you look inside that. So everything is a snapshot of something much bigger. So you can zoom in infinitely into it and it's pretty awesome. So if you and I are more aligned with what it is we're supposed to be doing, more fulfilled, and we're, we're making money to take care of ourselves and to, for the ones that we love, we're not going to be rich, but we're wealthy, right? And there's a difference. Rich is a, a measurement of finances and wealth is a quality of life. So we're living in, in a wealth state and if we, in our community, are all individually wealthy, what does that happen to our city and then our state and our country? So we move away from a place of negativity, vitriolic, polarizing, us versus them, you know, hurt our neighbors kind of concept and take from another. Instead, we focus on fulfilling and expressing our, our joy with others. It's a different kind of world. And so that's why it means so much to me. And I, I think artists are going to change the world. And we need to make sure that they're more artists and they're encouraged to pursue their passion versus, well, you have to do this other thing and you have to give up the thing that you love to make a living. That's why it's important to me. And it's important to have a big, big, it's important to have a big, hairy, audacious goal because if we play small, the, the, the worst thing can happen is we actually achieve it. And we stop. Hmm. We don't stretch. So it's more important for us to play big and never achieve it because we keep stretching and we keep stretching. And the interesting thing about the human mind, the human body, is we are capable of so much more. We can imagine things in our mind that don't yet exist. 
and then manifest them into reality. It's one of the most unique things that separates humans from all other animals is that we can imagine something that doesn't exist and we can make it happen. We can imagine ourselves on Mars and eventually there will be humans on Mars. It's pretty wild, right? No other creature on earth can do this, just humans. And so that, that's kind of why it's important for us to have these big goals so that we imagine ourselves in a future state and then we do everything we can to align our lives such that we have the best possibility of achieving that result. Oh, I almost already want to set into motion our conversation exactly a year from now where you can check me on my YouTube progress. <laughs> and which very much comes from the place of like, I just like, because all of us, I feel like in our soul know that there's so much more we can do. And that's what hurts the most when we don't, when we just like, well, this is, this is comfortable. This is, I'm okay. My community is okay. My family is okay. But it's like, and it gets boring. And it just like, you know, when you're lying to yourself, when you're like, there's more you can do. And that's why just, before I put that post up on LinkedIn, it was a night before it was like 2 a.m. I think I saw you on YouTube and I was like, Chris, I, I need to reach out to Chris. <laughs> and I was like binging your videos, like 2 million subscribers. This is where we're going to see where that's going to stretch me out myself. So I'm like incredibly grateful that you said yes for this gorgeous conversation. And I just want to send everyone your way myself included, especially for the live ones. So first of all, I want to say a massive appreciation for coming on today, Chris, genuinely like this is this is where like in person, I would be like almost shaking you up because this is like <laughs> this gets me going. I'm like, OK, I'm so excited to build. It's the perfect time. And yeah. outside of the live events that are going to be happening, how else can people follow your journey. There's, we already know three programs that are happening. There's a social media guide us through where to get started, to get into this zone circle of Chris and everything you do, which again, I found you sales training. You're I'm, I'm a part of that program, which is gorgeous. Like you just, I know you like help designers. I'm not one. <laughs> I'm like, but you're a business stuff. I was in a business, you know, that boot camp. I was like, it was just everything I wanted it to be. So Mm. just where do people go from now because anyone like me is fired up to get involved in your circle well i i want to thank you for creating space for this conversation for your genuine just effusive energy and your positivity it's like you radiate it and i do want to say a couple things number one is you can see like when when you actually show up for people and you genuinely care and you are you're you're, you're generous and you give value People like Vendy are going to show up for you. And if you're watching this or listening to this, this is not some contrivance thing. Like I didn't like secretly send her an email saying, Hey, can you ask these kind of questions and pretend to be super excited and whatever? This is just her being her, right? And she's going to be like this no matter what happens, but this is the benefit. So I want to encourage every single person who's listening to this to take this to heart. Stop trying to sell and pitch to people, create some value, transform their lives. And you might find a Vendi in your future. You might. And it's a pretty cool thing when it happens. Now, to answer your question about like where people can find out more stuff about us and what we're doing in our programs, easiest thing to do is go to thefuture.com. 
And the future is spelled F-U-T-U-R. There's no E at the end. So it's thefuture.com or thefuture.com. But if you want to follow my daily musings, my my content, you can go to almost every social channel and just search my name, the Chris Doe, and Doe spelled D-O. So I'm on Instagram, I'm on TikTok. It's hard for me to grow on TikTok, but I'm on Twitter now, X and LinkedIn, and pretty much everywhere else you can find somebody who's making content. I do want to give you an action plan, Wendy. Ooh, I don't want to leave please. you there. Okay. Yes. So there are three things that you're going to need to invest time in in order to build your YouTube following. Okay. Number one, I suggest you set a smaller goal. Before you can get to two million, you have to get to a hundred thousand or fifty thousand. And sometimes it's almost daunting, debilitating to set such a big goal that you're like, I don't know what the first steps are and your circuits will fry or you get really distracted. So I would say, let's focus on getting to 100,000. It's a beautiful round number. So you have about 85,000 to go. Let's say that in a year's time, a year's time, you can grow by 85,000 subs. If you beat that, fantastic. The next goal will be to go to 200 and then to 500 and then to 750 and then a million, okay? So take that 85,000 followers or subscribers and divide that by 12 and set the plan, right? It took you three years. Let's be realistic. It took you three years to get to 15,000. So it's going to take you a little bit more time, but it starts to accelerate now, especially as you learn how to create content. So let's start with a smaller goal. So every person who's listening to this or watching this, set a smaller realistic goal because you just should just take the first step. Now, I heard a, a former fitness guru talk about this. His name is Mike Chang. I have different opinions about him, but he seems to have found religion recently. He goes, you know what? The best exercise to do is to do whatever you want and just do one rep. He goes, let's just say that you're, I'm going to do one pull-up today. And you just go in and you just do one pull-up. And he says, with no expectations that you're going to do any more. Because having expectations means you won't do it. It's not good for you anyways. So go do that one pull-up and see how you feel. Are you energized by this? Do you feel tired or sore? So here's the weird thing. If it feels good, do another one. So now you do two pull-ups. And check in with yourself. How do I feel? Is the blood moving? Am I excited? Do I feel strong? Do I feel virile? Okay, great. Do another one. And then when you can't do any more, you're like, how do I feel? Well, maybe now I can do some push-ups and just do one. And it's the neat thing about taking that first step. It'll lead you to the next step. And this is the one mind hack, mind trick that I use personally because I'm like, well, I got a full workout I got to do today. It's like, it's too much for me to do. So I think I'm just going to go in the room first. That's my first step. Just go in the room, go into the gym and look at stuff. And then when you're in there, like maybe I'll pick up something and just pick up one thing. And the next thing you know, you finish your first set. You're like, well, I'm freaking here. I'll take the next step. So for you, Vendy and everybody else, take that first step. Okay. Number two, if you want to grow on YouTube. Focus on learning to becoming a better teacher. Hmm. And it starts with writing, prototype ideas, make it fun. This is kind of important. If you think back on your entire life from when you were in grade school or preschool to through college or, or your graduate degree, reflect on the handful of teachers who stood out, who made a difference in your life. They did something. Try to figure out what they did and do your version of that. The teachers that stood out to me gave me something to do. And they didn't try to teach me too much. 
And that's the level of teaching I aspire to do. So they give you something to do and you do it in the process of doing it. You start to learn all kinds of interesting concepts that you didn't even know that were in there. So a lot of work has to be done in designing the assignment or activity such that you'll learn everything you need to learn. So as you're creating content on YouTube, the best creators on YouTube that have the longest staying power that are going to have that evergreen content have learned how to be better teachers. It's a combination of doing research, writing, preparation, using metaphors or demonstrations. If you can do any and all of that, do it and your channel will grow. Number three, learn to be a better storyteller. So we underestimate the power of voice and bringing people in through story. Stories are the operating system of the human mind. Um, that is an Eric Edmeads um, phrase that I'm, that I'm using here. Eric Edmeads said that. Stories are the operating system of the human mind. Since the beginning of time, we use stories to share lessons, to build community, to form cooperative groups, to identify our, our identity, our, our group. We're, we're using it to remember the past, to design the future. We use stories. So naturally, you need to become a better storyteller. It's already inside of you, but we've lost the art of storytelling. So if you can take that first, smallest, viable step and not put too much expectations on yourself, more likely you'll do more and you'll enjoy the process. Number two is you have to learn to be a better teacher. There's lots of tools there when you set your intention to be a better teacher. Start with yourself. Look into your past. Figure out what, who's done a great job for you and replicate them. And number three, learn to be a better storyteller. Because before people will learn from you, they need to know who you are. And if you can make the lesson hidden inside the story, it's even better. That's it for you. I'm so excited. <laughs> Here's my whole 12-month plan in action. And 85,000 definitely seems a lot more approachable by the end of last next year. Yeah. Like so what I'll do right 100K. now, here's what we're going to do. 85,000 divided by 12. Are you in the pro group, by the way? I'm not what I feel like I need to be. You might want to be. Because uh, then that way I can keep tabs on you. But you need to grow by about 7,000 subs a month. Any month you go and overperform, give yourself a giant pat on the back. Actually, any month you just do anything, give yourself a pat on the back. But if you start to hit those 7,000 subs a month, you're going to get there. So 7 times 12, I believe, is like 96,000 or something. So you're going you're gonna to do great. So that's what you want to work on, okay? Or yes, 94,000, yeah. Yeah, and I'm right. And no, it's eighty-four thousand. My bad. Yeah. Okay, so that's what you need to work on. So focus on that number and do everything you can. So if a video performs and gets you a hundred subs, you're like, well, to get to seven thousand subs a month, I need to do mm -hmm. a lot of those videos, or I could just make videos that get me more subs. Yeah. So one one thing that you can do as a, as a little reminder is everybody who bumps into your video is a new person. Assume that they're new. So give them a quick reintroduction as to who you are we don't do this but we should do this right you should say hey everybody i'm vendy i'm a digital nomad i do the x y and z and it'd mean a lot to me if you sub sub to the channel or give it a like or a follow or something like that that's it insert that into every single one of your videos yeah and yeah because i'm I'm combining now YouTube, like I just did YouTube and now it's podcasting because I've massively felt called towards podcasting as well. So I'm like, 
one channel with both. And for podcasts, typically fewer views, but great for shorts and in-depth conversations and fills my soul. And there's people who enjoy it. And then in terms of like growing subs, it's more SEO targeted content, which is easier in theory to like yeah. see what's ranking, create that. So we'll do both. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. YouTube. Uh, this is great. I'm like, I can't, like I so needed this. I can't even tell you. I was like, this is perfect to, cause I just, yeah, been too comfortable. That's just, that's the main thing. And also I feel like in the six figure range, business is hard because using Hermosi's terms, not using enough leverage. And there's like so much of like doing the thing and being like the creative direction for this and the titles and the email list and the LinkedIn at the same time. And I'm like, Jesus, if I'm going to have to do 10 times more of this, I'm going <laughs> to either pass out and not sleep or I'm going to have to come up with a better way. And I feel like I need to go to the better way of, okay, where do I invest? And who do I need to more like just, yeah, make the money, invest the money or start with investing the money, make the money, invest the money yeah. to not grow crazy, basically. Right. So you'll be seeing me. <laughs> I know I'll see you. So message me when you hit that first 7,000 month. Okay. Done. Now I'm going to hurry up. This has been amazing. Chris, thank you so freaking much for coming on and anyone who is even remotely considering going to see chris live is the best thing like your youtube videos are already amazing but it's like that live interaction and you're so i don't know why you call yourself an introvert you're so you have such a beautiful presence when you're in a room and you're so humorous mine is sometimes get annoyed with us which we can also feel from the energy sometimes it's like you shift very quickly but it's like oh Chris got annoyed with all this question. Let's just say I get fired up. I would say I get annoyed. It's people do fire me yeah. up though. Fair. But again, it's yeah. amazing. So thank you so so much. And I'm gonna say until next time. Okay. See you next it. time, Benny. Thanks for having me. See you soon. <laughs>